you know, for years, um, we talked about the possibility of doing something called repechage, which is something you see in other sports, right? You know, it's where you can, you can finish second in, in a repechage type bracket, you know, and we talked about it in, in the context of the Olympic archery round and it was never implemented because it's so darn hard to follow. And we were concerned, you know, Jim Easton was concerned, I was concerned, and other people involved, that it would be too difficult for the media. Because the media, let's just face it, they're just not that bright. Do you know how to spell that word? Yeah. It's French. R-E-P-E-C-H-A-G-E. Ah. So. I'll I'll Google that one. Yeah, you you, you do that later. Hey, I'm George Techmanchub with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're uh, we're back with a Easton podcast number twenty two, I think this is. And sorry for the delay, folks, but <laughs> it's been a couple weeks. And uh, Steve, you haven't been home more than one night in the month of January. Uh, I had I had two nights in a row following ATA. Oh, my bad, two nights. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yep. but anyway, other than that, yeah, I've been on the road. It's been one of those months. Mm-hmm. Well, we knew that was going to happen, and. We know where sympathy is in the dictionary, too. But um, <laughs> I almost had to hit the uh, hit the explicit button on that one. <laughs> so we're back from uh, Lancaster. We're back from Neem. We're back from Vegas. Not in that order. It was uh, Neem, Lancaster, Vegas, in that order. Let's talk about Neem a little bit first. Um, you know, that was a, the second biggest indoor event in the world. A big success with Olivier uh, doing his thing. And, you know, I, I think that, that as a competition goes, it was very smooth again this year. Always. Neem's cool. Gave away the hats. Gave away 487 hats. 487. Yep. Approximately. No. Exactly 487. <laughs> Not one of which you saw on the head of a single archer the following day. <laughs> no, actually, a lot of people wore on Oh, really? School. Yeah. Because every time I've given away hats at that thing, it's like, oh, okay, where do these go? I mean, are they using them for, like, changing oil? I, it's I, like a hat consumption area. Something. You know? Yeah, it's just they disappear into the, into the blue, and you never see them again. Um, we've got a bunch of listener questions. We're going to cover uh, Neem. We're going to talk about Lancaster, and, of course, we're going to talk about the Big Tamale, which is Vegas. Um, so, you know, with Neem, we saw some of the usual suspects doing very well. Particularly, yep. particularly your better half. Yeah. Linda shot really well. She shot awesome. She won. Mm-hmm. That's putting it mildly. What happened in the men's? Braden won. Braden Galantine. Yeah. Braden didn't have as good of a Vegas this year, did he? Uh, he? Yeah, I think he was next to me on the last day, and I think he missed on the second or third end. And Yeah. Like on the first day? Second, third day on the final oh, day. Yep. Oh, oh. And not to... Not to, uh, we'll get into the Vegas stuff in a minute, but uh, from there, everybody, a lot of people seem to have gone to Lancaster. Yeah, we packed up and headed that direction. And a lot of the Europeans came. Would have been an awesome deal, except for that snowstorm. When you, when you have a name for a snowstorm, you know it's significant. Yeah. Right? Winter storm, Jonas. Jonas. Yep. I went with Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon. I think that's better. Yeah. So, uh, winter storm, Jonas saw you with an eight foot snowdrift one day, I heard. That's uh, two meters or more, right? Yeah. So it's like it, two and a half meters. It was crazy. I never want to be in snow like that again. No. With a car. Yeah. I don't mind if I have a snowmobile. Right. But, but yeah, that would be fun. I imagine it would be difficult with a snowmobile too. Nah. So you had, uh, Robbie had something like 1,300 shooters scheduled to show up for the tournament. I think probably fewer than that actually showed up because of what was forecast. Yeah, I think it was just under 1,000 or something like Still that. Still a huge turnout. A lot of people... Yeah. And, you know, he made some tough calls because safety was the issue at this particular thing. He had to cancel Saturday. No choice, really. He made the right calls, though. I mean, I was surprised we were actually able to shoot Sunday. Yeah. Because it was, it was hard to get around anywhere in that town. If you, had to, uh, if you had to dig out of your parking lot or wherever you were at, it was hours. Lancaster so. was hit by something. I heard it was something on the order of a foot an hour for, for a period of time there. Yeah, it was, I don't know what, it, it ended up being 30 inches of snow accumulated, um, largest storm they'd ever had recorded in part, that area. And part of the problem is some of that was blowing around. So yeah, it's moving. Your 30 inches of snow could easily turn into 90 inches of snow just from yep. being moved around by the wind. Yep. It was crazy. And, you know, people were literally in physical danger, like stuck on the freeway in, in blizzard conditions. Yeah. Um, we, we were in the house, so I had rented a. I used Airbnb and rented a uh, 
an apartment, an entire apartment. That was probably really smart. It was cool. Yeah, because then I had a kitchen and all that, and mm-hmm. I, I found a grocery store that was open. That still had um, milk and bread on the shelf? They had everything, yeah. Wow. So Mikey Schlosser and I ventured out. There's there's documented videos of this. Um, we ventured out. Where, where, where can we find the videos? They're on, they're on the Steve Anderson Archery Facebook page. Which is? uh facebook.com slash big head archery i believe okay yeah all right so we uh we made it out got some provisions and we made it through the day and uh how far did you get i oh never mind i'm not gonna even bother asking because i know you were doing commentary i saw you doing commentary on youtube right yep i was commentating okay well that happens from time to time yeah that seems to be where my seat has has been reserved for the last few tournaments you know well apparently we're not very good at it if you look at (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> there's a social media site, Archery Talk, that seems to not like the commentary we did in Vegas this year. <laughs> you can't please all the people all the time. No, but you can hand them the mic and let them try. Oh, I'd love to. All right. So then after Lancaster, after the, the Sturm und Drang, or the snowstorm anyway, the snowmageddon, big difference in Vegas. We arrive in Vegas, bright sunshine, blue skies, um, something on the order of 17 centigrade and um, the biggest turnout, as, as Bruce predicted, the biggest turnout ever, the biggest pro archery event in the world, 3,045 shooters is the final number I got from NFAA. Unbelievable. It was crazy. Thursday morning when we, uh, I think they opened the doors at 11, and yeah. I, I walked out into the hallway at like 10.55. I had to go get something printed for the booth and the place was like jam-packed that that registration hall was jam-packed with people i couldn't believe it as soon as they opened the doors it was like the hordes rushing in it looked like world war z and everyone just destroyed the place like well not really like but it, it was just they crazy. were shuffling How like zombies people? were there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone just just went in and people started buying up things and hitting the booths and shooting and it was crazy it was awesome chaos but you say that and and from my perspective you know what i saw i saw a very smooth running event considering how many people there were just did a selfie so we're gonna put that out there on uh, twitter yeah we should uh we should hit up the boss man for some headsets with microphones and maybe a little little camera. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just start doing this Joe Rogan style and record ourselves we can do live that. talking. We can do that. Put it up on YouTube. I know Jay's happy to do it. So It amazes me that people want to watch someone talk. Isn't it, though? You yeah. Know? It's like, uh, but, you know, I know a guy. I have, a, I have an acquaintance in Los Angeles. He's in the radio business for many years. He's a very famous guy in, in Los Angeles, and he no longer is on radio. He does his own podcast a video podcast every day and he's got you know thousands if not you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers that pay you know 10 bucks a month to watch him do his show and he's got a unique shtick that he does and it's it's a, a lot of fun to watch the guy do his thing because of how he does it but but just watching a guy stand there or sit there and talk is weird it is weird yeah but people people do it joe rogan has like 3 million people who subscribe to his youtube page or something crazy you know and so just kicking it dragging it kicking and screaming back to the subject yeah <laughs> of vegas um you know we've got uh 50 years of vegas now right i mean that is that is clearly uh some kind of record for a, a continuous event of that kind and it's gotten bigger every year biggest prize this year fifty thousand dollars for the men's premier class um you know, the, the Freestyle Men's Championship Division, which has been renamed uh, to a much easier to handle, you know, acronym and all that stuff. And we've got um, the highest of high pressure at this event. Yeah, for sure. And you did very well. Yeah. I mean, let's just, uh, might as well just rip the Band-Aid off. You, you dropped one in the last end of the last day. Yep, yep. It was it a was soul, uh, soul crusher. So... You shot very, very well. Very well. And the butts at Vegas aren't forgiving. They, they tend to kick. I watched, I, I was up in the top of the arena and I watched you a few times and I threw the glasses on there and you had a brilliant target going. And um, I, I just, you know, 
you're going to be back again and you're going to do your thing. Yeah, I'll go beat my head against the wall and come back next year and eventually it'll work out, right. you know? No doubt, no nothing, doubt. Nothing like, nothing like persistence to ensure um, success yeah. down the road. And so. if I'm being very honest with myself, I mean, I shot a pretty low X count this year. And that's totally on me. I, I hadn't put in a lot of practice hours this year. Yeah, Normally, but you, you, you set up the ATA show. You set up the Easton presence at the Lancaster event, Neem. You set up the Vegas booth. You weren't focused on shooting. Yeah. You're working for a living now. Yeah. It would have, uh, I don't know. I, I thought about, I thought about how the whole year went and normally, you know, normally before December's over, I've gotten through a hundred stack of Vegas targets at least, you know, if not 200. And this year I didn't even order any targets. You know, it was, I, I maybe shot, maybe shot 20 practice rounds and that was, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Vegas is so mental. You're shooting tens, right? That's easy or it should be easy. And in the last end, I, I decided to try to get aggressive and shoot a different shot that, than what I had for the 87 arrows that had got me through before. But, you know, I, uh, I never felt like my shot was really happening easily. Maybe the first end of the last day or the first half of the last day, but I just didn't, I can't say I put the work in to be deserving to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, Still felt like I could have, but I didn't. I didn't deserve it like someone like Sergio probably does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's a pretty raw and honest uh, assessment of the situation. You know, if you if you think about it, the pressure was unusual this year. I think that that manifested itself in what was going on. Uh, maybe the fifty thousand dollars, maybe the extra attention. You know, there was media running around all over the place following Matt Stutzman, for example. Yeah, he was on my bail, and I. Uh, that that made the first day a little interesting. There was like a camera crew in his face. It was HBO Real Sports, yeah. yeah. So not like some small time, you know, guy with a camera. It was freaking HBO. A whole crew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen that before, but not not here in America following an American archer. I've seen it in Japan, actually, where um in the last few years, not not so much in the last couple of years, but a few years ago, crews like that were following Hiroshi Yamamoto around at every event. It was literally like watching a, a, a media scrum, but it was like a dedicated camera crew, sound guy with a boom mic, every the whole nine yards, following Yamamoto around at every event. And, and quite honestly, people kind of got ticked off at it. You know, they didn't like it because yeah. it was a disruption. You know, and I asked the HBO guys, I said, has anyone, you know, complained? And they said, oh, a few people, you know, that were, were kind of in the way down on the line. I said... If these, it, I mean, I can't believe it. Our, if archery people are going to complain about the sport getting some serious press time, like HBO. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on, you're you're holding us back if I you're mean, complaining about that. Stutzman's a great representative of our sport. Mm -hmm. He is super enthusiastic. He yep. has overcome something that I can't even fathom. You know, I, I got a little taste of what it's like not to be 100% this past couple of months, and I, I don't even know how the guy does it. I mean, it's just... Talk about human persistence and and fortitude and inspirational archers. They he calls himself and talk about truth in advertising, man. <laughs> the guy is something else. You know why he calls himself inspirational archer? Because um, an organizational body didn't want him to call himself the armless archer. I don't know which organization you're talking that's about. That's all I'll say. But that's crazy. Yeah, they didn't want him to be known as the armless archer in uh, within, you know, competition, international competition, well, and in marketing way, stuff. It works great, and yeah. you know, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, anyway, the the thing is that there were a lot of distractions. Is my point? Yeah. Right. I, I don't think. And I don't. I'm not talking about you necessarily, but there were there were there were there were there were a numerous number of, of factors going into I think this year's low count the, the first day I think it was something on the order of 38 guys um 34 it was 38, yeah, 38, 38 something like that yeah 38 were still clean on the 300 um and remember in the compound you're shooting the big 10 you yep. know and um and then as the weekend progressed uh only five guys were left at the very end uh yeah. which was Chance Boboff Justin Hanna a newcomer kind of sort of at least for the for the shoot down, 
Yeah, his first shoot down. Right. He'd been to Vegas twice, I think. Serious veteran Logan Wild. Our friend Reza Zamaninajad, who used to shoot for Iran and then Canada, and now he's moved to the United States. And George Riles. It was quite amusing to listen to the uh, the, the number of different ways that people said Zamaninajad. <laughs> Zamaninajad. Zamajad. You know, I was Just all over the board. Just go with Reza. Reza. Yeah. yeah. He, he, should, he should get like one name, like Madonna. You know, Reza. Yeah. Neymar. Yeah. So, <laughs> and George Riles, right? And... Um, George, I think, in that group was the only one shooting 23s. Everybody else, I think, was shooting 27s at that point. Correct. And um, because of the Lucky Dog rule, which was inspired, by the way, apparently by NASCAR. Did you know that? Yeah. Bruce Bruce explained that. Mm-hmm. That's a NASCAR thing. Yep. You probably know more about it than I do, but the bottom line is, in in the case of Vegas, the Lucky Dog is the guy left standing after all the guys, including yourself, with the um, 899 score, mm-hmm. shoot a single arrow, is it? You shoot one arrow. You got to shoot one arrow into the X first. Okay. And then you shoot another one, and that one has to be inside-out X-ring. So, And from there, they start eliminating people. So that leaves you with a 27-size arrow, maybe two millimeters of clearance to get it inside-out? Yeah, Not even that. Really, really tough. You got to shoot it dead center. Yep. And so um, there were a number of guys. I, I don't know what the number was, but it was something like thirty something shooting yeah. shooting it off. And and you know those those guys had to shoot that inside out on the small ten. Mm-hmm. You know on the on the world archery size ten. Yep. So, um, you know the field shot and. More than half the guys got cut on that first end, I guess. Um, it went from it went down to like four or six guys. That's all that shot mm-hmm. after after the first thirty two, the and then yeah. only a few were left. Yep. When we went to inside out, only four or five or six. And then guys. finally, there were just two left. Yeah, which was Sergio and one of his teammates from Italy. Yeah, I think it was uh, Federico. Federico Pagnoni. Yep, Federico Pagnoni. So um, they and, shot like five times. And let's remember, Sergio is the reigning champion of the world. Yeah, in indoor. Um, and, you know, he's going to be defending that title uh, later this month in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Actually, I guess technically next month is, is when it actually starts. Yep. And um, so, you know, it took some time to decide between those two. They went back and forth a couple times. Yeah. Finally, Sergio put one in there and earned himself a spot in the shootout. Shooting Easton full bores, which is as big a carbon arrow as you can get your hands on. Correct. And um, so there he is. Sergio is... In the finals, as the lucky dog, full privileges he can win. It's not like repechage where you can, you know, only get as far as second, maybe, mm-hmm. depending on how it's set up. So, um, you know, you've got now Sergio Chance Bobuff, who's won Vegas what three times now, maybe three. Yeah, Justin Hanna, who's in his first shoot down in Vegas. Logan Wild, who's been in the shoot down, I don't know how many times, and a couple times has had the high X count. Three straight shoot offs for him. Raises Eminem first Vegas shootoff, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And George Riles, who's been in it on and off seven over times. the years. Yeah, seven yep. times is amazing. So um, Chance Boboff, 11 straight shootoffs. That's amazing. I that, think. That's I an think incredible that's accomplishment for Chance, if you think about it. Unreal. It really is. Yeah. The, the guy is solid on 3D. He's kind of known as a 3D guy. But when it comes down to it, he's a really good Vegas shooter. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to win in, in Neem, and he doesn't seem to win in Lancaster, and he doesn't seem to win some of these others. But Vegas, he's got that thing sussed. Yeah, he apparently knows how to give Control himself a chance. Yeah, yeah you, you got to give yourself a chance. That's it. All right. Well, I'm going to ignore your little pun about chance. But, <laughs> you know, so here's the deal. Lucky Dog has been implemented since, what, 2009, I think. Eight, um, or, eight or nine, one of those two. And nobody, no, no lucky dog had ever won Vegas. And in fact, I don't believe any lucky dog ever survived the first round of the shootout. Yeah, game. I don't think they ever really came close. Um, last year's lucky dog was one of the Shaft brothers. Yeah, Josh. And there's been other notable lucky dogs, including some past Vegas champions. I remember vaguely Jim Despart being a lucky dog at one time, hmm. you know, as an example. And, um, you know, so every time we've had the Vegas shootdown, We've had the big show. You know, Bruce gets down there on the floor and he does his thing. And in the last few years, I've been, you know, kind of the, the color announcer. And um, it is a show. You know, you've got 3,000, 4,000 people in the stands. You've got T-shirts being fired into the audience with prizes attached to them. 
you've got music. Last year you had um, the controversial showgirls with the uh, the ring cards. You know that yeah that seemed to have ticked people off. They didn't like that, so they didn't bring that back. Um, and then you've got you know it's just it's a big show. You know it's a big event. Yeah, maybe arguably the biggest one. You know, and then. Um, you have this shoot down, which can be excruciating. I mean, it goes on and on and on usually, right? They first originally, they'd shoot for the Big Ten and you'd, nobody would drop out. They'd shoot again for the Big Ten, nobody would drop out. This year, they went straight for the X. Yeah, straight to X-ring scoring now, which is, uh, I mean, I, I, I had thought about this before. I thought this could be over in one go. You know, with, with only six guys in, it's essentially like, a normal year where there's 15-ish and already having shot one end. So we had a debrief for the, for the, for the staff working the presentation part of the event at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and we walked through various scenarios because we knew we were going to be doing the pyrotechnics and the, the flaming freaking chariot <laughs> with the horse. That was awesome. It was, it was something. I don't know about awesome, but it was something. It was certainly unique. I've never seen anything quite like that. Anyway, the the point is that we did war game this scenario. And it was Bruce's worst nightmare. This particular scenario that came to pass was Bruce's worst nightmare. This is not what Bruce wanted to have happen. He didn't want someone to win on the first end and then nope. have to shoot off for second and no, third. No. Talk about anticlimactic. Everybody gets that. You yeah. know, I mean it wasn't the show that Bruce wanted to put on. Ideally you you settle third right off the bat and then you get two guys going head-to-head for the win. And I guarantee you there's 10 other guys out there, including yourself, who would, would love nothing more than to have had a bigger field for that first shoot-down. Yeah. Because if it had been a bigger field for that first shoot-down, arguably, it might have still been going on. Oh, yeah. But someone, Sergio, someone else is going to put three in. But Sergio shot supremely well. Sergio did it. No one else did. He did it when he had to do it. Yeah. I mean, they got one practice end, and then boom, you got to start. Three X's. Shot yeah. three X's. Nobody else managed that. Some of those guys, some of those guys who've been in it a lot of times before, they shot like big nines. It was XX and then out. We're talking, you know, full up Heimlich maneuver. Mm -hmm. So, and you know what? I don't blame them. 50 grand on the line plus plus contingency. It's a $100,000 arrow for some of those guys up there. I mean, I'm sorry. That's going to, that's going to raise your adrenaline a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as a shooter, you're not, I think most guys, it's, the money is a bonus. You know, you want to win the freaking tournament. For the guys who are up there, if, if I think the people who think about the money, they don't get a chance. So our, our buddy Chris at World Archery quoted Sergio as saying that he had no pressure. He stepped out there without pressure. I don't know if I believe that. I don't either. I think Sergio just doesn't realize that he's good at handling it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, the, the guy has been everywhere at the top. He's won Forever. two. He's the only guy, I think, still in compound men, who's won two consecutive World Cup finals. Yeah, if you go and pull up his bio, well, it's just—I mean, he's done so stacked. much. You know, yeah, he has won the European Championship like three years running uh, in a row. Current World Indoor Champion. I mean, I, I don't think that. Remember, English is not his first language. I don't think that he meant that he was without pressure. I think maybe he felt like he had less pressure than the other guys because he was a lucky dog. Hey, maybe he meant what he said, you know. I, I but I don't believe for a moment that when he was shooting, he had zero pressure. Yeah, maybe he just felt that he wasn't, you know, he was okay with whatever happened. But you know, he looks unflappable up there. You know, he always has looked the same, no matter what the situation was. He's he's very composed. Mm -hmm. You know, and his shot always looks composed. Oh too. man, always. so smooth. I mean, you know, I, I I'm I'm responsible for dubbing him the Sultan of Smooth from back in the day. Probably 10 years ago. I love that one. And, um, well, you know, this is back when we were trying to come up with, you know, the honey badger kind of stuff. You know? Right. <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there's a number of shooters out there that like that. And, um, and certainly some that don't. Anyway, um, that was it. Game over. And it left Logan and Chance competing for second place. Yep. And, uh, and that, you know, that was cool. And Logan prevailed. Second place for Logan. Third place for Chance. Second place for Logan, not a bad payday, $10,000. I believe that yep. was the case, yeah. Plus contingency. Plus yeah, contingency, yeah. so not a bad thing. No. Um, freestyle women, 
Freestyle Women's uh, Championship round was actually shot before that. Um, and that had uh, three archers tied for first place. They had an 897 out of 900. Mm-hmm. So that was Sarah Lance from the United States, Christy Collin from the United States, and Inga Van Caspel from the Netherlands. And Inga uh, X'd it. Yeah. And, and just shot really well. And the other girls did not shoot as well. And Inga just just ran the board on them. Yeah, it was one end. Inga shot two X's. The other girls shot one. That's it. Ten grand first prize for Inga. Yep. So that was pretty solid uh, performance there. For the uh, recurves, Brady Ellison, who uh, just shot really well against uh, Korea's Sim EG. And that was, um, you know, really solid. Uh, excuse me, Brady. Excuse me. Brady was up against Mr. Guy uh, of Korea. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sim Yi Ji from Korea won the women's, the women's. Yep. championship round. So um, really solid uh, performance there on the recurves. Brady was unstoppable. You know, Brady, believe it or not, would have qualified pretty well among the compound men yeah. with the scores that he shot. You know, you could say that um, at the World Cup final, the Brady's night, Saturday yeah, night, Brady's gold medal match, if you put an X ring up there, he mm-hmm. would have been competitive with the men's compound. That's exactly right. He yeah, would he have was been. stuffing it. He was absolutely and shooting X tens, by the way. Yeah, putting those things dead center in the middle. Yeah, I think he shot sixty three X's in qualification on the Vegas tournament. Do not need line cutters when you're putting them in the middle. Yeah, middle is middle. So Brady, Brady's really rolling, and he's looking better. You know, did you notice he's he's looking healthier and he's, I think he's you know he had a problem. Yeah, he had some sickness. Back in November. Yeah, we won't and dive into that too no, much. But, but. but I think he's doing a lot better now. Yeah. And personally, too. He is some now, good news. Yeah, Brady's engaged. Congrats, Brady and Toya. Yep, Brady and Toya are engaged, which is pretty cool. And uh, that'll be another archery power couple, kind of like Steve and Linda. So pretty cool stuff. I would say that uh, Brady is really on a roll and, and probably number one with a bullet for the United States team for Rio right now. Yeah, I think he's sitting number three, but I I have a feeling he'll move his way on. Yeah, he'll 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 gain momentum as, yep. as time goes by. He wasn't feeling so great around the time of the first trial, so I think he'll be doing a lot better now. Yep. Um, speaking of which, uh, we probably need to recap the uh, the World Cup indoor World Cup final. So, you know, that was an, another entire event um, on its own, and it had a few different players that we saw in that final. Uh, specifically, I, I'm going to point out uh, Sarah Sonicsen of Denmark, who was a junior competitor at the uh, Junior Worlds in Yankton earlier last year. Um, and, you know, she had a tough road to get to Vegas, it turns out, because she shot with a friend's bow at the first stage in Marrakech and um, still made the, uh, made you the know, podium. made the podium. Yeah. Um, she got her own bow back for elimination day. Mm-hmm. But, I heard know, that. Yeah. And then um, she had a gold medal match against Sandrine Van Dionat, and, and Sandrine won yep. in, in Marrakech. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandrine is is shooting very solidly, as good as I've ever seen her. Yeah, she always finds her way into medal matches. But always. that women's final here in, in Vegas was um, a, a rematch of Marrakech. And this time... Sonicson won with a uh, 144 it was. So I think she was pretty happy about that. She was pumped. No doubt about that. And then for the men, for the compound men, that was a pretty solid match between uh, two powerhouse guys, Jesse Broadwater and Rio Wild. Yeah. But the wheels kind of came off on Rio's uh, scenario there. He was shooting big nines, almost tomatoes. Yeah, if he was he was either stuffing them or he was doing really well at the very yeah. beginning, and then Jesse just started gaining momentum, and Rio started giving up. I mean, big, big, you know, I mean, way out there, like three centimeters out of the middle kind of shots, yeah. which I don't see from I haven't seen Rio shoot like that in ages. And in the Vegas shoot itself, he finished two hundred fiftieth place, something like that. Had a I don't know some some issue. Yeah, he had a rough go there. Had a rough go in Neem, too, didn't he? he put one yeah. off the target. Yeah. But, you know, kudos to him. He gave himself a chance to win a gold medal. Sure enough, and he took second place final. at the yeah. final. You know, solid shooting. Yeah. He's just had a rough patch. Yeah. It, it's it it'll, it'll work itself out, yeah. No doubt. 
So on the on the recurve men, um, you had uh, Guy Dong Hyun, who was second at the Vegas shoot, and um, he took third at the uh, at the indoor World Cup final. The Russian Federation shooter Alexander Kozin found himself up against the unstoppable force of Brady Ellison. Brady wiped the floor with him, seven yeah. three. Yeah, he didn't stop Brady. Not even close. So um, you know that was that was. Uh, Tremendous effort on the part of Brady. He he really put on a master, a master show of how to shoot a recurve bow. I mean, he just nailed it. Yeah, never seen anyone shoot indoors this strong. I've seen him shoot this strong a few years ago, but not in a long time. Uh, our up and coming favorite shooter from the United States, Mackenzie Brown, did very well to make it into the final against her teammate Katuna Lorig, and Katuna um, solidly uh, defeated Mackenzie six two. Mackenzie had, um, you know, a good performance, but Katuna, you know, when Katuna is on, Katuna is on, and she was definitely on that. Night. Yeah, Behringer Shu versus Simi G. Simi G, who took the Vegas title, up against the uh, two-time world record holder and world indoor champion Behringer Shu, and Miss Sim, who's about a third-ranked, I mean, you know, third stringer. Third tier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for Korea, you know, which would put her first tier in just about every other country. She beat Behringer 6-2. Pretty solid shooting there um, in the women's recurve category then. So uh, in the compound women's category, uh, as we mentioned, we had um, we had Sarah Sonicson and Sandrine Van Dionant. In the um, bronze medal match, it was actually Inga Van Kaspel losing by one point to a shooter from Korea, So Che Won who was not a factor in the Vegas shoot, but, but took third, took the bronze medal for the, uh, for the women's compound category. Um, Linda was in the final. Um, she finished fifth overall. Inga Van Kaspel versus Linda. Linda beat Inga, I believe. Inga beat Linda. Oh, sorry. But yeah, what, one point differential there. Yep. And that put Inga into uh, the bronze medal final, yep. as it turns out. So. Yeah, Inga had a good weekend. Yes, she did. Yes, she did indeed. So, we had uh, you know pretty much a uh, a who's who um, in every one of these categories when it comes to target. Whether you're talking compound or recurve, it was maybe arguably um, the highest quality field we've seen for this in you know a few years, I think. And it went very smoothly. It was actually a, a better event from the standpoint of the final than the Vegas shoot. Not because of anything Vegas shoot people did, just because of the circumstances of the thing. Right. All right. So, um, you know, Vegas, what do you see as the future? Uh, what's your personal opinion of the future of this lucky dog scenario? Letter buck, you know. I, I liked it. You don't, I don't know, you, I don't think you can just be okay with having something for six or seven years and then because it it actually works out the way that it might, then you, you up in arms and pull it out, you know. I totally agree. I don't think it's going to change. No. I, I think that uh, it's – first off, I think most people who shoot the Vegas shoot who are honest with themselves like the idea of having that second chance. Yeah. I also think the crowd likes the idea of somebody who's an underdog, especially an American crowd. Agreed. And I think that uh, the best man did win. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't argue against that. Here's the other side of it. I mean – like you said, it, it the second chance is there for a lot of guys on day one that miss. That's all they have left. That's the only reason they even show up. Yep. This is a sudden death tournament where you're not allowed to leave after your death. You know, like <laughs> it, if if I'm being realistic, you know, and if I if I was just there showing up, I didn't have any people to represent. I didn't work in the industry. If I missed on day one, I would go home. I would save myself the the couple nights in a hotel and time away, and I would just go home. Well, especially after the month you had before this. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but it, you had a, you had an incentive to stay in it. Yeah, there's an incentive to stay in it if you miss on day one. The lucky dog. I think you know, being hindsight being 2020, I would the only thing I would have done different is I probably would have done the lucky dog shoot off in front of the crowd. Yeah, maybe it might have taken longer. Yeah, but I think the crowd would have gotten a little more out of it. I think some people felt like they were shortchanged. You know. In which case, they should apply for refunds for what they paid to watch. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but I think it, it might have been nice to have that, that lucky dog shoot off because it would have been entertaining. 
Could be, yeah. You always run the risk of that takes too long, and they could have, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, it did take a long time. It did, yeah. You don't want to, you don't want people to get bored. And well, I guarantee you one thing: um, Bruce Call is not going to let it get boring. No, there's always something. He's going to have something for next year. I guarantee it. And uh, kudos, seriously, to the staff and the volunteers who put the Vegas shoot on this year. They did a tremendous job. They, yeah, they always do. And with the extra burden of extra competitors, they continue to do so. I feel like we're forgetting to bring something up, but I guess it'll come back to us. Uh, we're going to move on to some uh, feedback from listeners. You know, we did that uh, video um, that you did to show the correct knock fit versus the not so correct knock fit. Right. It has blown up. Yeah. What is that? 60,000 views or something like that. I don't know. Some big number. Oh, it Just, was a pile. It's blown up. So um, a couple podcasts ago, we suggested, hey, if you want to see something, you want to see Big Cat demonstrate something, or, or even me, um, then, yeah, we'll send us your idea. And um, our winning idea, you don't win anything except we're going to mention your name here, Brenton Neuschultz gave us a great idea, and that is, how about your next video, you shoot 12 arrows, one group of six arrows with the index vein up, no contact, and the index vein down, contact on the blade rest, and compare the group at 50 meters. Same 12 arrows, alternating shots, Different knock colors to distinguish shots on target. I can do that. That's I, good info for me to, to know as well. I kind of like that idea. So Steve will do that in the next couple of weeks, and we will get it posted up on Instagram and whatever. I'll probably do it when I'm setting up an outdoor bow. So mm-hmm. it, it may be a month or so. All right. So that's a great idea, and thanks for that one, Brenton. Uh, next question from Charles. Uh, he wants to know what year was the Easton ACC model first produced? Some old friends were discussing and could not remember what their favorite arrow was when their favorite arrow was first created. Do we want to go down the rabbit hole of history of AC arrows? Yes. Okay. So the AC arrow really started in 1969 when Jim Easton invested in creating carbon fiber suitable for archery. Uh, He worked with a subsidiary of General Dynamics down in San Diego. He invested about $10,000 in 1969 and generated from that a laminate that could be applied to bow limbs and to arrows. Fast forward to 1982, Jim was working with um, Prepreg to create the first AC arrow. That is an aluminum arrow with a thin wall and carbon on the outside. He worked on that um, and perfected it and got it to a point where it was good enough that it was used by Daryl Pace and Rick McKinney in the 1984 Olympic Games. I think a few other shooters had their hands on these at that time. And uh, Daryl won the 84 Olympics with the first AC arrow. Now, that first AC arrow was very similar to the ACC that we know today in a lot of ways. Um, Not as good in some ways, but very similar in construction and very similar in terms of uh, overall weight. The ACC was first produced in 1987 and sold in 88 and the ACC was built with a different process than the original Easton AC arrows making it stronger better bonding of the carbon to the aluminum all that kind of thing following the ACC in 1988 Easton introduced the ACE for aluminum carbon extreme ACC by the way stands for aluminum carbon composite AC the original AC with the yellow label the ones that were used in the 84 Olympics and, and subsequently uh, 85 World Championships, those had a yellow label on them. ACCs, the original ACCs, had a, a silver and gold label. And then um, the ACE, the Aluminum Carbon Extreme, which was the first Eastern barreled carbon arrow uh, that had a micro-barreling treatment that made it clear better for finger shooters. And um, there were several series of that ACE developed over the years and um, culminating in what we now call the G-series, or you know, in some cases the J-series, depending on what size you're talking about. And those arrows, uh, pretty much unchanged since 92, for the most part. And uh, same for the ACC. Almost no changes since about 1990, when we changed from one type of carbon to another. Same modulus of carbon, just one different vendor. One of the vendors that we were using, BASF, actually got out of the carbon fiber business. And so we changed to a different fiber that we still use to this day. Now, uh, 1995, developed the X10 down in San Diego. And, um, you know, 
products like the AC Navigator followed, the ACG followed, but basically the ACC first produced 8788. I left out of the uh, mix here the uh, original ACH, which was the AC Hunter, which was a thick wall, heavier version of an ACC, and we sold those for a few years as well. Some of those guys out there, like Dick Tone, they still swear by those. Interesting timeline there. So there's your there's your quick and dirty uh, AC Arrow history. Um, we've got uh, we've got a fellow Robbie Ward uh, who has asked us the question. Uh, he's from Texas. He uh, has been shooting compound 3D for years, starting to take an interest in indoor and target archery as well. Uh, he wants to know our thoughts on compound ever becoming an event in the Olympics. And the only reason I'm going to bring this up, Steve, because you and I, you know, we touched on this uh, earlier uh, in, in previous, at least two previous podcasts. But I'm beginning to think maybe, and I want to get your thoughts on this, I'm beginning to think maybe the future of, of compound in the Olympics is indoors. I could see that, yeah. It would be, I mean, the nice thing about indoors is it's so up close and personal for the crowd. They can sit right alongside the venue. They can see the arrows and the target very easily. Um, it, it seems to be, I mean, that's where our biggest money tournaments are at right now. You know, that's where our biggest productions are at right now. Why not carry that on into the Olympic Games? Okay. So, you know, I think that uh, to answer the question, yeah, I think Compound will eventually make its way into the Olympics. It's not going to happen until probably 2028, probably perhaps even later than that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's inevitable that someday there's going to be some form of compound in the Olympic Games. So thanks for that question, Robbie. Next question comes from, um, let's see here, Lucy in Australia. And she is asking this question. She says, I noticed that a number of elite compounders use a kisser button. Are they positioned differently for each distance or in the same spot all the time? I'm assuming these shooters like Rio Wild and Sarah Lopez set up a bow for the distance they're shooting. Would that be right? I, like most mortals, shoot a full range of distances, and I think it would be good for consistency. What are your thoughts? I've never been a fan of the kisser button because your anchor does have to float a little bit in field archery and in events like Reading where you're shooting from four yards to 100, 101. Yeah. So I personally don't use them, don't like them, not a fan of them. I mean – your peep side is your rear side. I don't feel the need for another reference. You know, as long as I'm not completely mobbing my face with my anchor and, and burying the string into my cheek, then it shouldn't matter provided I look through the peep sight squarely to the scope. So I don't use one. Shooters who primarily shoot at one distance, like Rio or Sarah, yeah, it works fine for them. It's another point of reference. Because they're shooting 50 meters for the most part. Yep, 50 meters or 18 meters. So, Indoors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it works for them. Um, but, I, yeah, I do not like it. I, I kind of set up all my stuff around Redding. That's where my, my entire basis of bow setup happens. And um, I, I, don't, I don't like a kisser button. Okay, that's fair enough. So that hopefully answers the question for you there, Lucy. If you have further questions, of course, uh, keep them coming in. We have a dedicated email address. For the purposes of questions for the podcast, which is podcast at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com. We're very happy to get your questions, and uh, we will continue to try to answer those uh, with every podcast. If you have questions, we'll try to make something up and answer them. Always. We've got, uh, you know, we've got to look at the fact that the outdoor season is right around the corner. In spite of the fact that as I look outside right now, I see frozen tundra. Yeah, I got another half inch of snow at my house overnight. And naturally, I washed my car last night. Right. I, I had a disaster with washing my car last night. I'll have to tell you about it later, offline. But <laughs> let's just say there's still water in the interior of the car. It's oh. Not, not a good thing. Good times. It was not a good thing. So, um, yeah. Uh, I'm not a big car guy as it is, you know, I'm a motorcycle guy, but I can't even touch my motorcycles right now. I've got a, I've got a, a four meter sheet of ice outside the garage. So <laughs> unless I screw studs to the tires, this bikes aren't going anywhere for a while. <laughs> but anyway, back on to, uh, we got outdoor season right around the corner, but we still have a world indoor championship in between. Yeah. There's still a lot of indoor left to be shot. Um, maybe, maybe I say that, you know, with an unfortunate tone, 
But yeah, we still have Indoor Worlds. You've got uh, well, let's see. The proximal stuff we've got right now is we've got the U.S. Indoor Championships, yeah, uh, which is more of a male match than anything else. That's dumb. Shooting male in tournaments is dumb. Well, if it's for a national championship, I'd like to. There's... I'd like to be standing toe to toe with with Brady and those guys if I'm yep. shooting against them. Yeah, but they're going to be yeah. in Arizona, and I'm going to be here in Salt Lake City at the Easton Center, and yeah. you're going to be here at the Salt Lake City Easton Center, and Jesse's going to be in. JMU probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah, everyone's shooting somewhere different. And it's yeah, it's, dumb. it's a male match. You're going to have more participation this way, right? I think that's what USAA yeah. is trying to do. They want more people. In, yeah, they want to get all the money they can. But uh, it's not a real tournament. No. No. Male-in tournaments don't count. They're and, fun. They're recreational. They're recreational tournaments. Yeah, I have to agree. So, sorry if you're offended by our opinion. Yeah, last year to make it more interesting – and I only shoot it because it's 20 minutes from my house. If it wasn't, if I had to go more than one hour, I probably wouldn't do it. Wouldn't be worth it. Um, so to make it interesting, I left my house. Shooting started at 10. I left my house at 9.38. So that I'd have to get there and go straight into it with kind of a rush, kind of shooting cold, just to see how I'd react. Just to give yourself a little adrenaline. Yeah. Just yeah. to make it, I don't know, spice it up a little bit. How'd it go? I think I shot like a 591 the first day. Hey, you know what? I want to bring something up, and it's going to be controversial. You good uh, with that? We can always edit, so yeah. Do you think we should have doping control for Vegas? For yeah. For the Vegas shoot? Undoubtedly. Okay, let me tell you why. I, I asked this question. I'm not going to touch on rumors involving shooters. None of that stuff, because it's rumors, and it doesn't deserve the light of day. I'm going to tell you what I saw. I'm sitting there in the stands in Vegas, which I rarely do. I usually shoot the thing, but this year I wasn't able to. I am watching shooters shoot three arrows, walk six flights up the, uh, you know, six rows up, grab a bottle of beer, Mm -hmm. which was definitely beer. Yep. Drink from the bottle, go back down to the floor, go score, come back. And if they were, you know, on the, on the top target, they'd come back up, drink more beer, go back down to the line. This is not, yeah, not acceptable. Yeah. And if, if you're unfamiliar with doping control, the first thing you do is a breathalyzer. Not acceptable. No. And beyond that. Yeah. I mean, we have doping control for a World Cup that pays like $500, but we don't have it for a tournament that's paying out 50 k So let me ask you a brutal question. Yeah. How many people would drop out if they instituted doping control? Uh, I, have, I have no idea. I hope none. Right. But, we hope none. Yeah. But we also know that there's going to be some people who aren't going to be comfortable. It, yeah. If, if doping control is on, it's going to be zero. You know, people aren't going to take that risk but i think it needs to be zero tolerance i really do and I, I i think it's for the integrity of the sport yeah just like it is for world archery yeah for as long as as they don't have doping control people are going to abuse it once they say hey we're going to be testing next year no one's going to bother abusing that one there no one wants to take that risk like oh maybe they won't catch me no they will if you get tested you know yeah so who knows? Maybe you'll see some people. Not I don't know. Show I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it's not more self-policed, you know, because yeah. I know that other shooters must have seen this particular guy go drinking, and I saw other people doing it. And and I guarantee you that, you know, okay, he did walk up a bunch of rows, so maybe he wasn't visible from the line. But it's not – it's just not part of the sport. No. Like I said, first thing they test you for in doping control is alcohol. Yep. In fact, that's the – the reason they do that is, of course, that's number one, a small amount of alcohol is a definite performance enhancer for people who are nervous shooting. Right. And number two, it's the least expensive test because you start getting into the lab tests with the, you know, the bottles and stuff, it's $300, $400 right. each, each test. And you know that can be a big investment. Well, I have it on good authority that they're taking a hard look at this. I hope. So I, I expect that there will be some changes in this area because I... It's, you just can't have it. Cannot have it. Have to have, have to have clean sport. Right. You know, shoot clean. And, and it, it should be noted for people who don't know, a lot of the athletes who compete regularly in world archery have regular testing at their home. Yeah, this they is have called out-of-competition yeah. testing. They can knock on your door at 7 a.m., produce a bottle, and say, go fill this, and they'll watch you they fill watch it. They watch you fill it, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a little awkward, you know, my, my, uh, my few doping tests. Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're a little shy, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing because they're, they're, like, staring. You know? Yeah, like, and it's pants to the floor. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, like that kid in elementary school who didn't realize you're supposed to keep your pants up when you pee. Right. So, All the way to the floor. No, they don't want any possibility of somebody slipping something into the sample. Nope. 
And yeah, it, it's, and for, like I said, for those people who are out of competition testing, it's monthly. They may get you one day and come back the next. Just, I know just that because they've, they've gone after uh, a couple of top shooters who, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, uh, they've have had the same people tested out of competition, knocking on their door at home at six thirty in the morning, more than once. Mm-hmm. You know, and not because there was any suspicion. It's just your number came up. I guess. You know? Yeah, it's somewhat random, but also somewhat regulatory. Like they they have a, a schedule as to when I believe how often you should be tested and blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, I know, um, I know the majority of the people in the top 10 of the world rankings are subject out of competition testing. So Rio, Rio told me he scheduled his for 10 at night. You know, you, you tell him when you're, when you're generally home, mm-hmm. that is something you tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, well, usually I'm home at 10 PM. So come on by. <laughs> and yeah, they regularly came by his house at 10 PM and he uh, submitted for drug testing. Yeah. And, and if they come for you and you're not around, and yeah, they do that a that, couple times. Yeah, that's the same as a you get a strike against yeah, you. Yeah, it's the same as a positive. You have to report your whereabouts. Yep. If you're going to be out of town, you have to tell them, and you have to tell them where. That way, they can have someone show up there and test you. Yep. So you know that's why archery is a clean sport in world archery. That is, you know, mm-hmm. it's very rare. It happens, but it's very rare that we have a uh, a problem. And you know, some people go, "Well, it's not fair. I have to use beta blockers for my health or whatever." You can get a therapeutic use exemption for certain drugs. Correct. You know, and so, you know, it's not like they want you to die because you can't use such and such drug. It's because such and such drug gives you an unfair advantage and there are substitutes that don't. Right. So. But it also, I mean, the test, the test monitors how much you have in your system. Mm-hmm. So yep. you, you can't go and just take a pile of your prescribed drugs to have a little spike on it and, and really give yourself an edge. But, That's right. Yeah. You know. And yeah. again, you know, we're not we're not doctors and we don't play them on TV, but we will tell you that, you know, we've both been through drug testing. Yeah. You know, as part of our I've been on national teams and world teams and Steve, of course. And, um, you know, it's part it goes with the territory. Mm-hmm. But the biggest tournament in the world doesn't test doesn't test right now. That may change. I hope. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I, I was tested at every um, every event that we meddled at last year. I got I got pulled from the crowd and tested. Mm hmm. It was pretty awesome. You, you know. actually get used to it, I guess. Yeah, you get used to being in a locked bathroom with another dude with your pants around your ankles peeing into a cup. So, you know, uh, I've been around the sport a long time, as you know, a little longer than you. And I can remember when they could they would actually give you beer to help you avoid because they weren't testing for alcohol. Right. Before the 92 games, up until about 93, 94, beer was one of the offerings in at the, the test station. Yeah, so they test you for alcohol, and then they give you... No, they didn't test you for alcohol back then. That's oh. the point. Oh, okay. Right? They did not test you for alcohol back then. They were testing for, you know, uh, relaxants and some other stuff. Maybe steroids. Mm. Who knows, right? But they were not testing for alcohol until 93, 94. Interesting. So, in fact, at the Barcelona Olympics, there was beer in the athlete tent. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> there was. There was, there was awesome. sin alcohol which is the non-alcoholic beer uh-huh. in the tent. And then, you know, there was a rope and there was another tap with, with the real thing. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. It was all right there Yeah, in the 92 Olympics. And, and by 96, that was all done. No more alcohol at all. Yeah. So another little interesting uh, tidbit for, for listeners, when you get tested, if, if you're too well hydrated and your urine is clear, you have to do it again. Yeah. You have to have a certain color. Yeah. To your urine. They, they actually have a, uh, a density that it has to have. Yeah. Like bricks for wine, I guess. Yeah. They, they put a drip on a strip and then put it in this looker thing and look into it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really weird. Yeah, you're too well hydrated. You have to stay. Yeah. That's so if, I, if I'm getting ready to shoot a metal match, I will, you know, slam a Coca-Cola or something beforehand, try to make sure, because I really don't want to do it again. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you know. And, I, and I'll hold my pee. If I have to pee, I'll hold it, knowing I'm probably going straight in there after I walk off the stage. Well, the horror, of course, is if you have to wait three hours, right? I mean, they'll, oh, they'll just... They'll no, just, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. 
And it's a hideous thing when you're trying to get back to the hotel and get a shower and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. Or yeah, food, dinner, awful. whatever. And they, yeah. they follow you around. Like if you, you can walk out, but oh, they yeah. have an agent. Oh, follow you've got you. a marshal that follows you yeah. everywhere you go. And, and that that's a third party that you don't even know. And, nope. and they're going to follow you everywhere. They can, mm-hmm. do not let you out of their sight. Yeah. The best, uh, I think the best drug tester on our team is Brayden. He he's in and out in like three minutes. The he's guy got, can pee he's got on, command. on command. <laughs> yeah, he can pee on command with whatever color he needs to to you know make sure it, it is a suitable sample. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's capable of regulating his hydration. I guess. Yeah, and and if you're ever wondering who has passed or failed, World Archery puts those on the website. Failed, oh yes, failed tests. Yeah, in fact, World Archery, um, you know, uh, there was there was one from September that I recall that, uh, I mean, it's made public, and, you know, it's part of the whole uh, court for sport arbitration, and there's all sorts of sanctions that go into play. You know, um, I, I will say this. Uh, I think it is very much to the credit of our sport that it is so few and far between. I mean, if you compare it to, yeah. think about what's happening in track and field right now. Yeah, I mean, the the amount of money being dumped into that to stay ahead of drug testing is, you know, think about where, where a lot of these sports will be when they pull out a sample 20 years down the road and test it again with, with new methods. Like what happened with some prominent bicycle racers. Yeah. Did you hear about the bicycle racer who had a an electric motor hidden in the bottom bracket of the cranks? That's... This is most recently at a cyclocross, the UCI cyclocross world's. How do you even, what would make somebody even think that they could get away with something like that? Or feel good about winning with something like that. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. Well, well, no different than popping steroids for, you know, dishonest advantage. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got a pretty extensive calendar coming up besides the indoor nationals. We've got Ankara for the World Cup. I'm going to be there doing the announcing stuff for World Archery, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of names on the list yet. Yeah, I heard there was only like 120 yeah. registered shooters. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if that's just because of uh, the timing. You know, they have the FORS system, which is the automatic you know deal that federations use for uploading to. Right. Or if it's just because people are really focused on the outdoor and they're focused on, on getting ready for Rio. Yeah. I mean, that's a very strong possibility. Yeah, there's not, not always a lot of federation support for indoor worlds, and especially in a, in a Olympic year you know most the most the teams aren't even going to bother are you still hearing any complaining about the location among your among your friends out there yeah um i I think people are you know concerned but i don't think that's stopping a whole lot of people from going no it's not stopping me and i'm sure that uh, it's not going to stop most people from yeah it's just a matter of you know, it's yeah, Olympic it's year. And approximately a month from now, we'll we'll have a few more people on the list by yeah. the time this thing rolls. Around. I bet it'll be around 200. And then um, I'm I'm looking at the outdoor season pretty much starting up. You know, we've got uh, we've got Asian Grand Prix in Bangkok, and we've got Shanghai around the corner. Yeah, it's another crazy year. And you're headed to Shanghai, right? Yeah. To shoot. Yeah, I go to Shanghai and then I come back and I go directly to. Reading, and then I go directly from there to Medellin, and then back from there. And Levi Morgan has a tournament he's putting on, and then from oh, yeah, there, <laughs> from there I go to, I have like a week, and then I go to uh, Turkey. Last year, Levi was uh, advertising his tournament that he's putting on, and he said something along the lines of, "Yeah, we're gonna have that George guy who announced in Vegas." <laughs> like, which one do you mean, George? Me, George, or George Riles? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. I'm still not sure, but they've never contacted me, so I'm assuming it's Riles. There you go. There you go. So yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, that's a that's like a separate thing he started, right? It's going to be like a pro series type thing that he wants to do. I have no idea. I I, I paid my five hundred dollar entry, and I'm planning on going hundred thousand dollar pot. Uh, is what I heard. Uh, yeah, maybe total. Yeah, yeah total. Something like thirty k to the winner, but it pays down pretty far. Uh, Levi Morgan didn't uh, figure in the finals this year in Vegas. He went out like the first day. Yeah. So I think he's focused on other stuff right now, maybe. Ah, he's a busy guy. He is. Yeah. He's got the TV show. I didn't see him at an indoor tournament except except uh, Vegas this year. And he does that TV show, right? The hunting. Yeah. Is it a hunting show? Is that what that is? Yeah, he's got a hunting show. So 
Yeah, busy guy, like you said. So more power to him putting on his own tournament and, and a big prize package. Hopefully it'll take off. Yeah, everyone talks about, you know, doing their own tournament and how they would do it and what they would do differently, but not a lot of people actually do well, it. Kudos to him for putting his money yeah. where his mouth is. I right. think that's, that's much better than just talking about it or tapping away to keep yeah, it. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Sounds good to me. Once again, if you've got your uh, questions for us, you can zap it to us over the uh, the wonderful internet at podcast at eastontp.com. And if you're following us on iTunes, would you do us a favor and leave us a review? And the reason for that is because it actually makes it easier for other listeners to find our podcast. Yep. So if you're if you're subscribing to us on on, on iTunes or if you're listening to us with iTunes. Um, just take a moment and give us a review. I don't care if it's a good review or what, but you know, <laughs> we like good reviews. It's nice when yeah. people say nice things. And we haven't had people say too many bad things. No. Unlike our announcing in Vegas. Yeah, that one guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one guy didn't like us. He didn't like the chariots of fire. He didn't like the chariot. He didn't like anything. No, you know what? I don't think he was a happy person. Yeah, a lot of people, they, they can't, they can't uh, construct anything, so all they do is look for stuff to tear down. That's all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, he's old and will die soon. And- oh, ouch. <laughs> Lordy. <laughs> we might just get Jay to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it for us uh, for now. We'll have another podcast for you sooner than later. And thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the questions and especially the very nice feedback we get. Always. Um, you know how many people came up at the booth and said it's something unbelievable to me. I, I was like, wow, that's great. And yeah. it was really nice to see people. You know, put a face to it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I can't believe how many people say hundreds. they like it. I was shocked. It was We're just talking into a microphone. We're just BSing. It was so cool, though. Yeah. It was really it was nice, cool. really kind. Thank I even you. got some of that at the ATA show, which I never would have expected it there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So well, there you go. But you're easy to pick out in the crowd. Nobody knew it was me. Because, <laughs> you know, I was sitting there because I, I couldn't really stand very much. Right. I'm sitting in the back of the booth, you know, and people are going up to Isaac and going, oh, you guys are doing a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Which was great. Yeah. You know, awesome. Hey, thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll catch you again soon. Yeah. End of show? End of show. <laughs>